Hey folks, and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake online podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and we have got a super sweet guest on the podcast today, a really good friend of mine, Ari Remmel. They graduated with a degree in biochemistry and molecular biology from Reed College in Portland, Oregon, and received their master's in chemistry and biochemistry at the University of California, San Diego. And if I'm not mistaken, you are set to begin the SciCom program at UC Santa Cruz in the fall. Is yes. that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Go slugs. Yeah. Go slugs. <laughs> also, really important note, Ari is also super cool because their favorite cake flavor is birthday cake with confetti sprinkles always and forever. <laughs> Excellent choice. Yeah. yeah Excellent yeah. choice. Yeah. Well, Ari, thanks for being here today. It's really wonderful to have you. Um, it has been ages since I last saw yeah. you. Like yesterday. Like yesterday. Like, like yesterday. I know. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to talk to you on your podcast. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, SciCom is something that I'm really passionate about, and I'm glad that it's getting some coverage. Yeah, so we will we will be talking about that. Yeah. Um, but before we start uh, chatting yeah. about science communication, or SciCom, as it is dotingly called on the interwebs, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned to me before that mm-hmm. your previous research was in glycobiology. Yes, yes, it was. So I was working in Camille Gadula's lab uh, on the fifth floor of Pack Hall at UC San Diego. Yeah, um, (laughs) glycobiology is a really interesting field. First of all, if you break it down, the glyco and the biology, most people understand what biology is. Glyco refers to the study of sugars. When sweet. most people think about, yeah, there you go, very <laughs> sweet. That's, and that's exactly what most people think about. They think about sugars as being molecules related to metabolism, right. which are very sweet, that we can taste, we mm-hmm. put on our food. But from a chemistry perspective, sugars are in a family of carbohydrates. They're actually much more complex than just the sugars that we eat right. um, or that we taste. So, you know, there are like 20 different sugars that come right off the top of my head at this point that are used for a lot of things beyond metabolism. Um, Sugars are really important in our bodies to help cells identify who is self and who is not self. So they're involved in different kinds of communications. So um, sugars that are not used for metabolism are referred to as glycans, which is... Mm you know, related to that glycobiology. So my research um, while I was a student here at UC San Diego was related to glycans. Very cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digest that right quick. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay. So so glycans and, and now SICOM. And now SICOM. SICOM, SICOM, mm-hmm. What on earth is SICOM? So science communication is more generally the practice of taking scientific research and communicating it to a different audience, i.e. not scientists. So science, <laughs> yeah. so science communication you know, does really happen at conferences when you're standing up as a, as a research student or as a professor and you're talking about your research to other scientists. That's a kind of SciCom. The, the one step beyond that is explaining your research to scientists who are in a different field. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next step beyond that would be explaining your research to students. Fair. And then the kind of SciCom that I'm most interested in is taking your research and explaining it to a general audience, people who don't necessarily have the same kind right. of scientific training as you would expect maybe an undergrad in college or a high schooler. You know, this is the kind of, this is the way that you would talk to someone in your family who right. doesn't necessarily 
really know what glycans are or your Lyft driver. Talking to Lyft drivers is actually one of the first ways that I started to practice (laughs) communicating science to various audiences. Because every time you get in there, you know, it's kind of a grab bag of what kind of person is driving you around the city. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. Okay, so, so, okay, Psycom, scientific journals, science communication, uh, review articles, science communication. communication. And etc. Also, science communication. But then there's also like books. Yeah. Like, like absolutely. Je- like not not necessarily like textbooks or or reference books, but like, um, well, I don't want to. What, what, what I, I'm going to say science fiction very carefully. Mm. More so, not because it's like not like sci-fi that type of genre, yeah. but rather it's fiction that is science-based. Yeah. So. I would say that probably the the kind of psychom that I am going to get the training in writing and that right. I hope to be making my career out of is mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that you would see on like a New York Times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. So uh, Carl Zimmer, for example, okay. he just wrote a book. Um, uh, uh, she has her mother's laugh about genetics, and it's mm-hmm. it's a huge tome of a book, but it's beautifully written. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, I, I'm actually not sure about his scientific background, but this piece of writing is meant for people who, you know, are picking up a book for book club or something along those lines, right? right? Now, there is the kind of science fiction that is deeply informed by real science, and I definitely want to be, it actually is like a not-so-secret fantasy to be a science fiction writer. Naturally. But, you know, that's (laughs) like a, that's like a Sunday leisure sort of a project. Okay. My goal is to start um, writing pieces I mean, New York Times is like where people want right, to publish, of course. but um, like Jacks, but uh, yeah, but like yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the kind of thing that people are encountering, kind of in their everyday lives, not not as it like you need to learn science right now, oh. but like <laughs> a kind of like this is a cool thing and this is interesting, and if you happen to learn something about real research along the way, then you know, gold star for you. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. So. Am I allowed to ask, like, mm-hmm. w- what are the uh, the uh, the conceptualizations of of said perhaps future book in in the future <laughs> that I I can like be like I'm I'm gonna pre-order this yeah and I'm gonna buy it and I'm gonna read it. Well, that, right now I don't I don't have a book plan. I've got okay. a little while before that. Okay. I've got a couple of story ideas that are okay. in the works that um, I'm hoping to work on during my masters at UC Santa Cruz. Right. For the stuff that I'm writing right now, I do have a website. It's okay. called Ari on Science. I don't know that it's Googleable yet. I that's one of the soon goals. Okay. It, it, it is Googleable. Okay. All right. Well, it's okay. Googleable. But either way. It's www.ari-on-science.com. I publish a a mix of pieces there. Uh, One of my personal interests as a science writer is to understand the intersection between art and science. Hmm. Um, Because I think that art is uh, a medium. I mean, obviously, art encompasses a lot of different kinds of medium. But art is a way to get people engaged Mm -hmm. in a way that they can approach it from their own standpoint and their own perspective. Everyone enjoys art on their own ground to some extent, right? And I think that science has a way 
of being artistic on its own. I think chemistry in particular. Oh, yeah. Um, because we do so much with 3D representations yeah. and models, and, you know, there's lots of bright colors oh, in yeah. the That's way that we I'm do chemistry. That's why I'm an organic chemist. I know, yeah, exactly. it's just like all the pretty colors. Like, you know what? This reaction failed. But you know what? The consolation is the fact that it looked pretty. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And um, honestly, as a side note, when I was first getting into chemistry, people used to ask me, like, oh, you know, why do you study chemistry? And I was like, when I was a kid, people... Disti- like distributed students into two categories, words kids or numbers kids. Right. I never quite fit well in either of those categories because I was always a shapes kid. I like yeah. shapes, and I like thinking about three-dimensional space and how yes. things move. And as soon as I found chemistry and started to realize that we not only drew shapes in two-dimensional forms on paper, right. but we were using those two-dimensional forms to represent vibrant, dynamic, moving entities. Yeah. Um, that's when I really started to fall in love with chemistry. So I try to take that same awe for physical representations mm-hmm. and use that to explain science to people who might not be realizing that that's what they're engaging with. So a lot of what I've done in San Diego, one of the ways that I started writing, I'm really involved in the Burning Man community. So I started writing about science-inspired art pieces that were coming out of CoLabs, which is a a makerspace here in San Diego. Uh, The other thing that I realized is if you actually look at the city that is Black Rock City, I think it is literally designated as a city. I think it has the highest number of PhDs per capita of any other city in the country. Wow. You get a lot lot of really fascinating people from very interesting intellectual and academic backgrounds. Oh man, okay, so uh, now the real question is how many pieces are contained in, in your molecular model set? You know, honestly, I tend to not use physical molecular models oh, anymore. Uh, I have, uh, I love my ChemDraw. I, oh, yeah. I love drawing mm-hmm. things in ChemDraw, oh, yeah. and I like using the, the 3D expression in ChemDraw. Yeah. I find that it's a little bit easier than moving than moving place to place with a physical right, set. Right. I mean, I did as an undergrad. Um, as far as the different kinds, I always... They're not really practical, but I, as an undergrad, um, got to play with a chemistry set that where the bonds were actual springs. Ooh. Um, you know, which is actually really fun because you do get a sense of the movement right. of the molecule a little bit more. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, uh, the, the stick and ball models, I think, are really important. And obviously, I like big sets because... Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I cannot lie. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, Same. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I like these really big, interesting molecules, mm-hmm. but I find it easier um, to look at them in programs like PyMole or right. Marvin Sketch. I, right. I'm trying to remember what some of these other, there are a lot of different programs right, that are available right. that are actually free. Yeah. yeah, I actually use Pymol. Well, I used Pymol a lot when I was working with the protein. Yeah, and I, I my favorite setting was Chainbows. Oh, Chainbows! Like is always, uh, a uh, right? Great okay, yeah. okay, yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh, yeah. it's so pretty. Yeah, I can't actually like I mean, present this, but it's beautiful. <laughs> again, like my favorite cake yeah. is birthday cake because of the rainbow confetti. So like, obviously, Chainbows is my favorite. Excellent, yeah. excellent choice. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So okay, uh, I I'm curious. Um, because like science communication is not so far from you know research, but it is a different feel. Yeah, uh, where it's far less. 
technical and yeah. like scientific verbiage and articulations and whatnot. And so uh, what motivated you to pivot over to SciComm? So I'm going to disagree with you slightly on that point. Oh, okay. Really good SciComm engages with all of the technical, all okay. of the jargon, all, all right. of that stuff that we as trained scientists are you know, the way that we communicate. Okay. The thing is, when you've done SciComm well, that gets distilled and translated into language that's a little bit more accessible. Okay. Right? I When I talk to people about SciComm, a lot of the times the term dumbing it down comes up. And I... I- Okay. Yeah, I I disagree with that. Yeah, I hate that concept. When I am trying to target a new audience, whether it's for my blog or it's students or whoever I'm trying to talk to, my job is not to... I don't want my audience to be dumb. Right. Right? Uh, Or rather... I have a lot more respect for the people that I talk to than to assume that they're dumb right off. Um, I want to make the information useful and engaging. Yeah. That is my job as a science communicator. Right. All right? So what I do, because I have been trained with my master's in chemistry to yeah. read all this jargon, mm-hmm. engage with the literature, mm-hmm. talk to scientists in mm-hmm. their own terms, I want to take all of that and weave together a story right. that is interesting and engaging for a different audience. Right. So I actually find that... Um, the training that I got as a practicing bench chemist is right. is very useful mm-hmm. and regularly used in the work that I do. The thing is that as a PhD student, which is what I started out as, I ended up mastering out of the program. Um, as a PhD student, my job in the way that I was understanding it was that I needed to delve in to the nitty gritty details, individual things, so right. that my scope was was narrow enough that I was working with tweezers kind of separating each individual concept from another. Right. And I think that's really fascinating work and I really applaud the people who were able to do it well. Yeah. I am so much more interested in big picture concepts. Right, right. I don't want, I, you know, I want to come and look at the nitty gritty. I'm going to stand over your shoulder and appreciate why you love what you do. But I also want to go talk to the next person right, about what they do right, too. Right. I find that um, I like learning about concepts on a broad spectrum right. of what is science. Right. And I, as a PhD student, was getting more and more discouraged, especially since so often a lot of PhD work is just failed experiments. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't motivate myself to go on to the next mm. experiment because I kept getting interested in other questions. Right. So I decided that um, I was going to take my training, the training that I got, and uh, use that to my benefit um, and start to explore science from different perspectives and talk about it that way. Right. Okay, so perhaps then I should I should revise my previous statement. Not so much that we are for making it simplistic. That's mm-hmm. not the goal. Mm-hmm. We want to make it we want to simplify it mm-hmm. enough so that it is accessible. Yes. And then from there uh, use that as a basis to in effect um, introduce uh, you know science vernacular mm-hmm. to the general audience such that they're now equipped where yeah. it's just like you, now you have this understanding perhaps not like we're gonna go like completely to the bottom of the ocean like no 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 like mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna dip our toes in first 
you know, get you introduced to it. Like, like once you're like, oh yeah, like I, I like the water, and then you can like dive in a little more, mm-hmm. and then and then we can like you know build their ability to to interact with and and um, learn about and understand science. Mm-hmm. Is is that? Yeah, that's definitely more in line with the kind of work that I'm trying to do. I think okay. that. My goal is not to make people scientists. Oh, there are pro, yeah. you know, you yeah. want to be a scientist, there are ways to do that. Yeah. My primary goal is to let people know that if they want to, they can, yeah. which there are plenty of groups of students, adults, people who, I mean, it's never too late to get into science. It, it oh, yeah. really isn't. I mean, especially as a PhD student, I encountered students who were in their 30s and 40s before they even considered going to PhD school, right? right? I mean, it's a, it's a big sacrifice to take your life in that direction, but you can absolutely do it. Oh, yeah. Especially working with undergraduates, I would see students who may not have had, maybe don't have any interaction with scientists in their family or right. in their everyday life. Right. I want them to know as well that studying science is an option, but I'm actually a little bit more selfish in my initial, <laughs> in why I actually do this. I do this because I love geeking out about this oh, stuff. Yeah. You know, I get <laughs> so excited. I remember one of my favorite conversations in undergrad was learning about how cuttlefish change colors, how they have these specialized cells that are full of pigment that can expand or contract depending on what colors they want to use. Wow. It's fascinating. Biology is super cool. But <laughs> I, I find so much joy in those kinds of interactions right. that I want to share that with other people. And what I want people to do when they encounter science is ask another question, Yeah. right? Yes. You know, it's one thing to understand it, but I want you to, to look at the science and then say, oh my God, tell me more. Yeah. You know, and that's like, that's the dream. Right. And I see it, you see this in, in scientific conferences too, right? The, the, the sign of a really good talk is that your audience has Mm follow-ups. And Mm -hmm. the great thing there is that like in conferences, as in science writing, you don't always know the answers to those questions, right? right? The questions that people ask often lead you to new forms of exploration. So it's it's a conversation. Yeah. I'm, I'm engaging in conversations with people. Yep. Mm-hmm. That <sighs> conversations are so good. Like yeah. sometimes like my fa- okay, this is probably going to open a can of worms, mm. but my favorite question to ask is uh, is water wet? Ooh. Now, now the reason why is be- and and, and Asking this question in, in a room of chemists and physicists and yeah. uh, biologists and, and material scientists is it's really interesting to see their side of the argument. Yeah. If you ask me what my position is, I have no position. I've taken yeah. all sides. Yeah. And it really, I like this because it's so open ended and it's yeah. very like, well, you know, it it really if you if you take it and you like whittle it down to what it really is, it's, it depends on the definitions yes, absolutely. of certain things. Like, yeah. how do you define water? How do you define wet? Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just really wonderful that I'll, I'll, you know, see, you know, all these physicists and material scientists and chemists in the room uh, and biologists or, or scientists, what have you, and seeing them take their position. And I'll ask, like, a question that'll probably, like, come from out of nowhere uh, for one group of scientists and they're like, oh, well, this is, this is uh, 
where we stand and be like, okay, well, what about this? And it like throws someone someone else off, and then they start like debating, and and this is all all in all in good spirits. Mm-hmm. Like th- like at the end of the day, we're just like friends. No tables have been flipped, and anything. But it's just like a really fun conversation to have yeah. because it it's intellectually stimulating, but it's very low stakes. Yeah, it's just like. Like who cares if water is wet? Like it's just a really fun conversation to have. Like you're you're taking your scientific knowledge and applying yeah. it to the conversation. Yeah. People start asking questions and like that's that's communication. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so one of the things that I started doing towards the end of my time in PhD school was I sat in on classes in science studies, which hmm. is actually uh, a cross-disciplinary effort between history, philosophy, sociology, and communications. Interesting. Um, there are a lot of different brands of this. The more traditional brand is history and philosophy of science, mm-hmm. which is different from science technology studies. Anyways, these are all kind of academic terms. Mm-hmm. The point is, um, this was a classroom where I was the only scientist in a room of historians, philosophers, sociologists, and commu- academic communicators. I actually don't know what that means. In any case, um, (laughs) we uh, actually read excerpts from a book uh, by Hasuk Chang called Is Water H2O? He actually stakes his whole career kind of in, uh, he's based out of Cambridge. He's a philosopher there. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he does philosophy of chemistry. And he, he actually makes some really interesting arguments about is water H2O based on the definitions that we use as chemists. Right. So, um, I think these philosophical conversations are really useful and interesting. I will say that uh, one of the conversations that was kind of the nail in the coffin of my PhD school time mm-hmm. was trying to engage with other chemists about what actually are atoms. Um, yeah, so I, I took that to even another level oh at that point. Yeah, like what actually are atoms? Um, and for my colleagues in the in this conversation I was with, Basically, it came down to we're too busy to have this conversation. What actually are atoms doesn't matter to how our reactions work. And maybe you should go somewhere else, which is what I did. <laughs> but doesn't it matter? I, you know, I think it matters. That being said, the pun was intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it literally does it matter. Does matter. Yeah. It does matter. It's matter. <laughs> yeah. Is water wet, I think, is a really fascinating question. Um, I think that my interest in engaging in those kinds of philosophical debates is part of what brought me to science communication because it definitely is low stakes Mm -hmm. and it has the possibility of reframing your mm-hmm. views on things. Mm-hmm. And reframing is where innovation comes from. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I love that stuff. Those are my favorite kinds of conversations. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. definitely, like, a Friday night, like, after work type of conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> definitely, like, a couple of beers. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well... Uh, what are some of your aspirations that you hope to accomplish related to science communication? What's the dream? Yeah. Apart from, you know, New York Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I definitely started out being, I started out as the kind of person who was like, oh, you know, aim low and achieve sort of things because that's how I managed to survive grad school for as long as I did. This is another sign that grad school was not the place that I needed right. to be, not for chemistry. Um, I now believe in 
having as big of dreams as you possibly can and absolutely reaching for them with all of your might and then seeing where you land because it's the journey, not right. the destination. Um, so, yeah, I want to write books. I'm write really books. excited about books. Um, I really like long-form writing. Hmm. Um, I think hard news is really important, the kind of news that you see pop up on, you know, the Apple News. Every once in a while you'll see something like that on Facebook. Um, hard news is important because people don't have a lot of time and they need to get through information quickly. Right. But if people are willing to take just that extra second, just, you know, five more minutes, I am really interested in storytelling because I think that science is interesting not necessarily because of what it reveals about the external world, but because of what it reveals about we, how we as people interact with each other and interact with that external world. Right. I am very human-focused in my storytelling because I think that science, as much as we view it as this purely objective, um, rational, external process, studying the world outside of us, if you don't include that subjective perspective of how we get there, you're you're losing some of the beauty of what we've actually done. The right. fact that we've managed to learn so much and create so much and honestly destroy so much, right? <laughs> the, these are all because of human aspirations, because of human stories. And I think that if science is going to survive this modern age of fake news and whatnot, like, you know, education crises, all public distrust in science, I think we need to start being more honest with ourselves about how we got here and uh, more more concerned and more interested and more excited about where we're going, right. you know? And that requires conversations. That requires conversations not only between scientists at the bench, but it means scientists talking with their networks. It means people, uh, you know, being accountable to taxpayers who literally pay for most of our research, you know? Right. Um, we don't operate in a bubble. Science and technology and society are one big intertwined network that also operate on the planet Earth, which has its own stakes, right? right. Yeah. So if we can do more of that integrated work, I think that we'll be better off. Now, the problem with integrated work is integrated work requires lots of different perspectives, and different perspectives means dissent, right? Not everyone is going to agree. Fair. And when people don't agree, you get all kinds of conflicts. But that kind of tension is also where beauty and truth come from, right. you know? Now, there are debates about how we do this civilly, how we do this in a way that brings in people from underrepresented backgrounds, and that's obviously very important. And I have a lot of opinions about that, but my job as a science communicator is not necessarily to project my own opinions, but to allow other people to share theirs, mm, right? Yeah. So that um, we have as much on the table. I mean, I'm a scientist. I like data. I want you to give me all the data. I want to see all the perspectives. Wow. Well, that that's super sweet. Um, well, Ari, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Mm -hmm. um, it's been such a pleasure. Really, yeah. it has. This is a great conversation. To the listeners at home, you can follow Ari's SciComm Adventures on s Twitter at science underscore Ari. That is at S-C-I-E-N-C-E -E underscore A-R-I. You can also keep up uh, on Ari's blog, uh, www.ari-on-science.com. -E -E 
chemistrycake.com. And uh, y'all know that you can keep up with the hype and follow me on Twitter at chemistrycake. Um, that's all we've got for you today, folks. Remember to keep the hype alive and edify your village. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you back for next week's episode of Chemistry Cake Online. This is Cake signing off. Mm-hmm.